Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Duarte, he knows where the clock is, lets it fly and hits again. Beat him up. Brogdon goes inside and Turner finishes. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human. Stevenson. Jackson the catch. Jackson the basket. Pacers got the steal, outrunning his Brissette, pounds it home. Washington, again, five of them. Go, go, good job. It to Taylor, Taylor missed it, tips it in. Oh, the, pace, the Pacers clearly yeah. won this okay. trade. Yeah. The Pacers clearly won this trade. Dropped it off to Jalen Smith with the poster. Peeled, hotter than fish grease. Halliburton going to slam it at the other end. This is Tyrese Halliburton, just got here in Indiana. Um, I'm super excited to meet you guys and super excited to get started here. Go Basics. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden, and joining me today, as he does every time, the one and only Michael J. Fachi. Fachi, what's going on, brother? And get me some Pacer basketball already. This has been quite the layoff. Alex, man, I'm itching to see Halliburton and the boys back out there. Absolutely. And so he'll be playing with some different players now, Fachi, in this game Friday. We got wind of it yesterday. Malcolm Brogdon will play in this game. Turner is still out for a few more weeks. Looks like Isaiah Jackson and Gogo Batadze are probable. And Chris Duarte is questionable. So I guess let's start there with the one that everybody's been talking about on social media. Malcolm Brogdon coming back. He said he wants to win these games. Uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But in terms of Brogdon coming back, what are you looking forward to? Well, first, I just want to say, like, I feel like Brogdon coming back is when, like, you got that cousin coming over that it's like your mom's trying to push you. You're like, oh, all right. OK, let's Brogdon's back. All right. Let's let's do what we got to do. But, you know, look, he has to come back eventually. But yeah. in this situation, we have to see this experiment. We have to see Brogdon and Halliburton, you know, playing together because we need to know if it works. That's great. But there, there's questions over here. Like, I want to know, is Brogdon back for good? Is he just testing it out? Is he going to play back-to-backs? I mean, there, there's so is he on a minute restriction? Who's playing more off-ball between the two of them? So, so many questions to ask, but not enough answers. I'm excited to at least see the experiment for the last 22 games. Yeah, I mean, every fan that's kind of like freaking out about it, like, I get it. You don't, you don't want them to win games. I understand that. It's a uh, it's a hard place to be in right now because you want to see this team perform well, but at the same time, not too well because you want a better draft selection. Mm-hmm. So with Brogdon, you know, there's a lot of back and forth on what kind of player he is. I personally would like to see him moved on, uh, the team move on from him in the summer, just because I feel like fit wise, he could make sense, but age wise, he doesn't. So I think really for fans that are kind of sour on him coming back, This is actually good news because, look, we've talked about this on our Mailbag podcast a few different times. Him coming back, 
him proving him proving that he's healthy is good for his trade value. If he doesn't return, then there's teams that could have question marks on him. So what you really wanted to do is play well these next 20 plus games, whether he plays in every game or not. Um, he, he can sit back to backs. That's fine. He can be on a minutes restriction, but in the minutes he's playing, looks healthy, looks good because the last thing you want is a guy that is a very valuable asset to this team. Um, I hate to put it like that, but it's just kind of what it is at this point. Probably your best trade chip, realistic trade chip that you can move on from, with, especially with the extension. I think that that does help if teams are interested. But this to me is, hey, let's see who we have. If it's a great fit, then maybe we can, you know, dive into something for next year. But if it's not a great fit and Brogdon doesn't seem to love the idea of being uh, a shooting guard or uh, playing off ball more than playing on ball, then then you see, hey, okay, maybe we can move on from him in the offseason but hope that he plays well still. Yeah, that's one of the things I'm looking forward to see is, A, is Brogdon going to be closing games at the end or will his minute restriction keep him out in the final minutes? Um, but also, yeah, is he open to playing more off ball? Like truly, because – with Halliburton, I mean, you got to have everybody's got to have the sense that this is the future right here. So I'm curious to see if Brogdon will take a bit of that backseat. I mean, he said before that once once he got his contract, it was like, hey, it's about winning. Now I want to see if he backs up that statement. So here's the thing, though. You and I and every other base fan is in agreement. I don't know if we really want to win anytime soon. So I'm curious to see how the pairing works, but I'm also excited to see it because just like you mentioned, Brogdon's not going to have any value if he can't return to the court and prove his value. So yeah, that, that that's one of the things that we're waiting on, but we also have a few other players that uh, are going to be returning. And uh, one of which I thought short-term looks like uh, Isaiah Jackson. Looks like he's coming back. He was a full yeah. participant in practice. Very excited to see the Halliburton-Isaiah Jackson combination. So that's going to be great to see. I mean, what are you looking forward to seeing out of Isaiah? I'm just kind of curious to see Carlisle's rotation once again. Now that Goga is going to be healthy, it looks like he's probable to play against the Thunder. Do they start Goga or do they start Isaiah Jackson? Feels like they'll probably start Goga because it's what they've done in the past. But I would prefer to see Isaiah Jackson starting out there. Would. Mm-hmm. I just think it makes more sense. So in, in that regard, that's what I'm looking forward to. But I, I still just want to see the minutes between Duarte, Isaiah Jackson, and Tyrese Halliburton. I want to see how those minutes look with those guys on the floor. Um, I'm curious to see how Jalen Smith's minutes are impacted. If he's not in the rotation, that could be somewhat beneficial to the Pacers if he's not playing well or if he's just out of sight, out of mind for teams. They might not want to offer him as much, but but still, I think it's one of those things where you're really just wanting to see the guys you know you're going to have long-term investment in. So Terry Taylor, Gogo Batadze potentially, and then, of course, Isaiah Jackson who's on his rookie deal. I just I think you got to play this man more minutes than Goga and give him more of an opportunity because he is the future, while Goga does not really seem to fit that bill. Nothing would wreak more of a tank job than not playing Jalen Smith. I mean, really, that is totally like a hey, we're not trying to win, and we're also trying to kind of you know bring your value a bit down. Well, I so, think he'll play a little bit, but not he, a he ton. will. He will. He will. Here's the thing. We're, we're, I think we're all in agreement with, with Goga now that it's like if if you had ten people, ten knowledgeable Pacer fans, and you asked which one of these guys probably isn't fitting into the future, I think a lot of them are going to look at Goga and say, look. It's been three years. You know, I, I don't think it's happening. You know, Jalen Smith, we'd love to keep him, but I do. I'm in full agreement with you. Isaiah Jackson needs priority over Goga. 
Absolutely. We've seen enough to know Gogo's not going to just turn this page. Could he be better? Yes. Could he get more minutes? Yes. But when you look at, when you compare him to Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith, it's it's not even close at this point. So I, I yeah. do think guys like Terry Taylor, uh, Jalen Smith, Isaiah Jackson, they need those minutes. And then, you know, Chris Duarte, someone that you brought up, Duarte did not practice the other day, which I was a little surprised about. I thought that left toe would have healed a bit quicker. What do you, what do you think the deal is with, with Duarte here? I mean, I think they're just playing it safe, to be honest with you. There's no reason to rush him back. They know they have him long-term. It's just, you know, they're not going to trade him. It's, it's one of those things where, to me, just be extra care, just be extra careful, be extra cautious here with Chris Duarte. I think the one that I'm a little bit more not surprised by, but I was a little bit like, oh, okay, wow, this seems like it might be more serious. And what what it was is Turner being out for another couple weeks because we had heard not just from our speculation, but other people coming on our show, like, hey, he could you know come back after the All Star break. So I think that Turner's injury. One, I think part of the reason that they're not rushing him back is a anytime you rush a guy back from a stress fracture, it's not a good thing, especially if it's not healed all the way. I think, two, the team's tanking, right? And, and it shows why they wouldn't want to bring him back anyway to help get more wins, and they want to evaluate this young town a little bit more. And then, three, I think it also just stood out to me a little bit more why teams were more hesitant to trade for him. I do think that put a huge damper on his trade value, and I'm not sure exactly how the Pacers go about handling Miles Turner and the future of him with the Pacers in the offseason. I, I think there's still a good chance he could be here for a few more years, but at the same time, with this injury, with previous injuries that he's already had, is he worth that extension we talked about and in terms of a long-term investment? So I'm just monitoring this Miles Turner thing carefully because, you know, he does seem to make sense with what this team is mo doing moving forward in terms of what they want in the center, but can they rely on him? That's the thing. When we're hearing that Turner's out for a few more weeks, you know, I did the math. The last game he played was January 14th. A few more weeks feels like at least March 14th. He'll have been out for two months at that point with that stress reaction. So you got to feel that the Pacers probably knew this was going to be a longer-term injury. I got to imagine that drastically affected any trade value over there. So I do think the Pacers made the right move and obviously getting Tyrese Halliburton, but they maximized Sabonis' value where Turner's value just was not there and a trade would not have made sense. So here's the thing. If he's to be out two full months and he does it make that much sense to rush him back to play what maybe 10 games a best case scenario 15 because we saw him last year not be able to finish the season here's the thing Turner's going into a contract year and if the Pacers are still you know having the phone lines open to make a move I mean what do you do there with Turner because I was really excited to be able to see him out there pair him with Isaiah Jackson at times also pair him with Hal Burton, of course. But now I'm, I'm wondering, hey, is this someone that, A, needs the full offseason to come back 100%? The Pacers will also be in a better draft standpoint. Yeah. Or do you really push him to come back just to see how his fit is as the sole center? That's a hard decision to make. I think they're just going to have to weigh their options and just be careful because, I mean, obviously bringing him back, you're going to increase his dra not draft, his trade value. So – that definitely is something you have to consider. But if you're not sure if he's going to be healthy and you don't want to risk him getting more injured, then I think you just play it safe. I think teams will have a better read on what 
the injury status is heading into the offseason. But um, other than that, it looks like McConnell could be out for a little while too. Might not return this season. Um, I don't. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. Still, some question marks on T.J. Warren. There was some footage of, of Warren actually at practice and in, in practice close. So that's good. That's a good sign. But other than that, did you have anything else you want to touch on with all these injuries? I would just say, look, when they're saying still no timetable for T.J. Warren, and you're 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 coming down to the final 22 games of the season. I mean, really, what is the best case scenario for Warren at this point? Is it 10 games max? Is that what we're looking at here? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, your I, guess I is as good as mine right at this I, point. First you know of all, I, mean? I don't want to be giving medical advice to anybody, but if we're talking about over here. It, it feels like five to 10 games. And that's if he's pushing management hard just to get out there to be able to show something. Because at this point, you know, when we're talking about Turner still being a few weeks away. I got serious PTSD from, from TJ Warren, that foot injury to the point where I feel like if we put Warren or Turner out there on the court, it could turn into a whole nother thing injury wise. And, and for that, I'm very hesitant. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But I, I think we should take a quick break here. Now uh, we've got a great guest coming on from CBS sports, Sam Quinn. Um, it, he actually had the infamous freezing cold take that the Chris Paul trade to Phoenix was not a, a good trade. And uh, you know, he laughs about it now, but he's a Laker fan and he's um, an NBA fan altogether. And he's got some great insights. So he's going to, share some of his thoughts on the Pacers moves and the direction they're heading. And then I do know for a fact, he is going to throw out a hypothetical Lakers Pacers trade. So we'll talk about that right after this. All right, everybody joining setting the pace right now is the one and only Sam Quinn. This is a two time guest now, since it's the second time back on Uh, Sam CBS sports. What's going on, man? How you doing guys? I'm so happy for you, Alex. The last time I was on, we were talking about, like, do we think that they could get a couple first-round picks from Orlando for Sabonis? Like, it was <laughs> grim, man. It was really, like, when, when Turner got hurt, I was thinking, we're going to do this again. There's going to be another year of, oh, now finally the time they break up the centers. Now finally the time they revamp the uh, roster. You got – you made it, man. You made it through <laughs> we did years of the treadmill. And, like, you guys really have something now. So congratulations, yeah. guys. Well, I'm happy for you. I, I want to hear you talk about it a little bit more because we've, we've got fans that are just ecstatic about Tyrese Halliburton. Um, I actually do like Sabonis on the Kings. I think it's a good fit for what they're trying to do. I, I honestly don't think it's a bad trade for either team, but, you know, it's just fun to clown the Kings. And, and Tyrese Halliburton seems like a very special player. So uh, just tell me, like, kind of what went through your mind when you saw that trade happen and what you think for both sides of it um, after after seeing a couple of games from both teams. So I, I have receipts on this. Like, I can actually prove this. I genuinely went into that draft thinking that Tyrese Halliburton was the third best prospect. And I think if, you know, whoever who was picking third, I guess Charlotte, they took LaMelo. But, you know, let's say Golden State was smart and they took um, – and they took LaMelo and Charlotte ended up with Halliburton. I don't think like there's any chance that they trade the number three overall pick who'd look pretty good a year into it for Sabonis. Not that Sabonis is like a bad player by any means. He's awesome. He's been a multi-time all-star, but I think the fact that like a lot of stars really had to align here, right? Where like Sacramento clearly was not planning to end up with Halliburton. They already had Fox and they already had healed. You know, they ended up taking Davion Mitchell afterward, just in a show of, how little planning goes into every decision that that organization makes. Like so many stars needed to align for the Pacers to make this perfect trade. You had a desperate GM, a desperate owner, you know, a 
log jam entirely of their own creation, but just like, God bless it. Like guys, you won, you got him. I don't know that Halliburton is like an MVP caliber guy like that is too far, but I'm pretty confident that Halliburton is going to make an all-star team at some point relatively soon. And I know that Sabonis has done that, but making an all-star team as a center and making it as a guard are two very different things. It's, you know, the most important thing we have to get out there. And number two, like, look, Sabonis made the all-star game. Like, let's, let's be honest because he put up really good regular season stats. He's a, let's say very good offensive generator, like somebody that you can run a lot of possessions through, but like, he's not in a Koli Jokic caliber offensive center. And when you're not that good on offense, if you're a negative defender, like you're going to get picked apart in the playoffs. And I'd say Sacramento is going to experience that firsthand, but let's be honest, Sacramento's not going to make the playoffs. So I guess that's a weakness they're fine eating. But if the Pacers had any sort of long-term ambitions beyond, you know, make the first round of the playoffs, you know, win 45 games, whatever it is, you kind of had to get rid of Sabonis because Turner is the one that makes sense in a playoff setting. They did that. They kept the right center, in my opinion, even if Sabonis is the more accomplished guy. And they get a young guard who like, could be maybe the second best player on a title team someday. Or like, at the very least, somebody who I feel pretty confident will be an all-star, but he's a pretty valuable all-star type caliber player to have because he's not super high usage. So like, say you win the lottery this year and you end up with another really top prospect, Halbert can fit with anybody. You could put him on a team with, you know, two high usage scores and he'd be fine. You can make him the primary point guard and I think he'd be fine. So I think you guys are seeing this. He's been really good since he got to Indiana. I just think this is a home run. Like I have nothing else to really add. Like this is just a really smart trade and kudos to the Pacers for making it. You made a few great points there. I mean, look, if the Pacers goal is to just, you know, put out a team there that can make the playoffs and get bounced in the first round, then yes, they should have kept Sabonis. Love me some Sabonis, but I'm a realist. And this trade was an absolute home run for the Pacers. I think finding a true franchise point guard could be one of the biggest challenges in basketball. But now that the Pacers have Tyrese Halliburton, what do you think they need to focus on next? I, I mean, we'll get into my specific ideas later. I just think the most important thing the Pacers can do is like, Let's not rush this, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I agree. Let's, let's be careful. Let's make sure over the next couple of years we're devoting as many minutes as possible to the young guys. You know, like Chris Duarte looks really good as a rookie too. I don't know what his ceiling is, but I feel very confident saying at a bare minimum, like he's going to be a good starter for quite some time. I know that Buddy Heald's on the team. I know that Malcolm Brogdon's on the team. I would maybe make sure that I'm starting the two young guards moving forward, like regardless of any other contracts or age or circumstance, whatever, like, Focus on the young guys. Let's keep Miles Turner healthy. There's no reason for Miles Turner to play another game this year. And go into this offseason, they have I have them at 23 million cap space. That's that could change depending on where they end up drafting and some other things. But they're gonna have pretty significant cap space if they want it. I feel like Indiana's impulse, based on the way that they've typically operated, is gonna be let's re-sign Ricky Rubio and TJ Warren. And I'm just sitting here thinking, like, what do those guys really do for you? Or like maybe the the move here is let's act the way that other rebuilding teams have acted, use that cap space. Let's get picks for other people's problems, right? Like let's save other people money, take on some picks, get some young guys. And then in a couple of years, when we have a couple of our own good picks, now we're really cooking with gas here. We've really got something. So I just think the most important thing they can do is like, don't rush this. Like you've got a good thing going. If you do this right over the next couple of years, could be real contenders, like real big boy championship contenders. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I don't, 
I don't necessarily think the Pacers are going to bring back Rubio knowing they have Halliburton and Brogdon McConnell on the roster. I, I agree with you in theory. I just know that that front office has always loved him. And it's such a Herb Simon thing to do to be like, oh, yeah, veteran point guard, right? Like big, not big name, but like big ish name. Somebody we've chased for a long time. He'll be a real stabilizing force. I don't think they should. And I don't think Kevin Pritchard would want to. But that is exactly the sort of thing that this ownership group would do. <laughs> yeah, I think the big thing, too, is that Rubio has to want to be in Indiana as well. So we'll uh, we'll see what happens there. And obviously, he won't be back till January next year. So that's another problem. But, um, you know, looking at this Pacers roster, I'm, I'm really intrigued by it. And I think one of the things that might be a little bit overlooked is just how impactful the Russell Westbrook trade to the Lakers helped uh, get some of these players on the Pacers. Because I think we all know about the Buddy Hill trade that was like leaked out there was Kuzma, I believe. And uh, you are just twisting the knife, my friend. Well, I'm just saying because the, the, the Kings could have had a totally different roster. And Isaiah Jackson was involved in that huge six-team deal. So the Pacers essentially got Isaiah Jackson in the draft and then later were able to acquire Tyrese Halliburton uh, along with what was considered a bad contract in Buddy Heald for DeMontis Sabonis and Jeremy Lamb, Justin Holliday and that and that three or that uh, six-player trade. So, you know, I just think that the whole Russell, the Russell Westbrook thing just completely changed everything uh, in terms of the Pacers getting their franchise point guard and their potential starting center in the next couple of years. I mean, do you, do you agree with that? Or do you think that if Westbrook hadn't been traded to the Lakers, that the, um, the, the Kings would have still moved on from Halliburton for Sabonis? You know what I find so funny about all this? Remember a few years ago when Paul George was on the Pacers and demanded a trade, he wanted to go to the Lakers, and there was all this outcry like, oh, this is so bad for the league. You know, the Pacers are turning into you know, the developmental team for the Lakers, like the small market's going to kill no, it turns out the Lakers are the farm team for the, for the Pacers now. <laughs> no, the Pacers are the team benefiting from the Lakers. Mistakes. And you know what? It's about time. Like, you, you deserve this. It's a small market that got a break. But, yeah, I, I'm inclined to agree. I don't know how good the Kings would be if they had made the Buddy Heel trade. I love Kyle Kuzma. I was screaming this from Mountaintop last year that, like, he'd figured out all the role player stuff. I thought the scoring was going to come back to some extent. I never thought he was going to be, like, a star scorer. But, like, a solid, you know, 15 points a game, relatively stable shooting. And lo and behold, it's basically what's happened in Washington. That's exactly the sort of player the Kings could use. I don't think that they would be markedly better, but I think if they didn't have healed, maybe they'd feel a little bit more comfortable saying like, okay, our backcourt moving forward is just Fox, Halliburton, and Mitchell, right? Like they don't have to think of it as a logjam. And then they'd also have Montrezl Harrell. Now Montrezl Harrell is not Sabonis, but he's significantly cheaper. And as far as a regular season offensive player goes, like Montrez Harrell is awesome to have on your team. If you don't have any plans of winning in the playoffs and you don't really have to worry about him getting just roasted on the perimeter and pick and roll on defense, Montrez Harrell is a pretty good guy to have. Like he can give you 25 really good minutes. He's a much, much more advanced offensive player than I think he gets credit for, right? Like last year on the Lakers, he shot like 70% on these baseline jumpers. He's not just a pick and roll player. He can put the ball in the deck a little bit. Like, I think if they had Harrell and Holmes as their two big men, like, yeah, you're right. I don't think that they would have really felt the need to go for Sabonis. If they were going to make a big trade, it probably would have been for something else. But the stars really aligned. I think you're right. The Pacers definitely got, you know, it takes a little bit of luck to, to have some success. And the Pacers definitely had that luck there. But, you know, you mentioned the 23 million plus that they'll have in cap space. They have a couple trade exceptions. They have, honestly, what could be three or four picks in the top 35. But they also have some players that have some question marks moving forward. 
You mentioned Miles Turner, how you don't think that he should return this year. I think the Pacers kind of want to see that fit of him as the sole center, but also there's a guy in TJ Warren that might be a ghost to anyone outside of Pacers Nation. What do you think the Pacers should do with both Warren and Miles Turner as they look to move forward with this, this core? Well, if Warren can get on the floor, I think you've got to put him on the floor because like he hasn't played in two years. If you have any interest whatsoever in bringing him back, and by the way, now that Sabonis is gone and you can really lean into the Warren at power forward like they did in the bubble lineups, now you might like really have something and you might be thinking, let's re-sign TJ Warren and this you know might be a real bargain. If he's not healthy, that's one thing. But like if he can play, I would I would really be pushing for that just because you want to see if there's any chance you can recapture that. And even if it's not the bubble version of Warren, I think what's really gotten lost, people have really forgotten how good TJ Warren was before the bubble, right? Like he had never played defense in his life, but that first or that last year under Nate McMillan, like he was a solid defender who was also scoring, you know, whatever TJ Warren scores the 17, 18 per game shooting really well from three, like just growing into this really valuable low maintenance. I don't want to say role player, but like, low maintenance score that doesn't hurt you in any other ways. Like that's a really valuable player. And if he's healthy, I'd love to have him around. So give him a shot. If, if he can play, like put him on the court, Miles Turner, like I'm just not messing around, right? Like he's too important in the team's future. I'm just thinking, you know, I want him to be healthy next year. I would like to extend him. And if this injury helps you do so at a lower rate, all the better, but like Miles Turner is a really rare player. And I think there are going to be rumblings like, oh, should the Pacers maybe consider trading him too? I know there were a bunch of teams that were interested when he was healthy. No, Miles Turner is just a defensive player of the year, caliber center, who makes a bunch of threes. How many guys like that exist in the NBA? Like, basically none. You have no chance of winning anything this year. The goal isn't to win this year. So do what it takes to win in the future, and that's keep Miles Turner healthy. Yeah, that's a big problem, though, because over the last three years, he's missed 25% of his games, um, and it's going to add up even more if he continues to miss time this year. So... I think you really have to wonder how healthy Turner can be going forward because this is three years in a row now where he's had foot problems. And we know when he came out of the draft, there were some issues with his running style that, you know, frightened a little bit uh, some of the teams from, from drafting him. So, you know, I understand what you're saying, but also in terms of three-point shooting, he's been about a 33% three-point shooter the last three years. So, it's not as great as I think some people think it is because he had a really nice stretch there a couple of times where he was close to 40%, but it's not been as um, efficient as I think some people think. Now, what he looks like in a different system is a totally different story. And I want to see what that looks like. And I think that if he can play in a different role and be more efficient than what he was with Sabonis next to him, then we're talking but at the same time, you know, there's there's just some question marks. And I think overall for me, it's not really the three-point shooting I'm worried about because he still is an elite-level rim protector. I'm more concerned about the injury stuff and wonder how long, um, you know, moving forward, you know, can he really sustain great health for a significant period of time? Now, I want to push back on the shooting percentages a little bit because being a 34 35% three-point shooter as a center versus being a 35% three-point shooter as a point guard – are totally different things, right? Like Turner doesn't have to be, you know, Carl Anthony Towns. He doesn't have to be a Curry brother. If you're a center who can on decent volume make 35% of your threes, that has such an enormous effect from a gravity perspective that I think that's just as valuable as having a really good, you know, 
point guard, whatever, especially because like Turner isn't somebody that you can like, I, I saw this with the Lakers last year where teams would like put small forwards on Marcus all. Cause like he was absolutely no threat with the ball whatsoever aside from passing and shooting. Like he wasn't going to put the ball in the deck and drive to the, to the rim. Like miles Turner can do enough that you really have to respect him as sort of an all around scorer more than you would Marcus Gasol. But with him shooting the way that he does, that's going to pull big men out of the paint. Like that's genuine gravity. I think that's so valuable offensively that he doesn't have to shoot like 40%. You know, one thing that I want to know right now, unrelated to Turner is, you know, we see more common with two point guards in a starting lineup. It gives you some options, but it doesn't always work. The Pacers are going to be experimenting that when Malcolm Brogdon returns. What is your perception of, do you think that Tyrese Halliburton and Malcolm Brogdon backcourt can work? Well, I think it can work. And I think in general, there's sort of like, we saw this with Brooklyn, right? Where there was a little like, oh, there's not enough ball for Harden, Durant, and Kyrie. Like, yeah, there, there was. They were fine. I don't think you can have too much ball handling. I think as long as the aggregate shooting is high enough, any extra ball handling, any extra playmaking, any extra, you know, basketball IQ. And Brogdon and Halliburton are both like, very smart, very cerebral players. Like, I think they would mesh fine together. I think the question is just, do you want to be invested 20 plus million in Malcolm Brogdon with his injury issues into his early 30s? And I personally would say the answer is no. We can talk about some trades. I've got a doozy coming up, but I don't think it really makes sense given how much you're going to be invested in Halliburton and Duarte as the starters to play them together. But if your goal was to be like an eight seed next year, yeah. I think Brogdon and Halliburton together would cause some problems for defenses, right? Like you can never really have too much ball handling as long as there's requisite shooting with it. Yeah. And I, and I you know, it's, I want to move on to the Malcolm Brogdon uh, situation here with Indiana because fans are really torn on him. Three coaches now in the last three years since Brogdon's been here, he's kind of been the leader of this team. There's been a lot of speculation that he's a coach killer. I think he's a little bit, um, underappreciated for what he brings for the on-court stuff. I don't really know how much is true of the off-court stuff in terms of how impactful he is in, in terms of his voice being heard and, and then being, you know, willing to move on from coaches based on his frustrations. I do know that McMillan is the only one that he kind of pushed for to be to let go because it just, the team kind of had lost interest in, in him. But we obviously saw that this team is uh, in a, in a, was in a sticky situation with Nate Bjorkman and even the beginning of this year with Carlisle. So, you know, in terms of Brogdon, he's made it very clear he wants to be a point guard. That's why he came to Indiana when they asked him about his position. He said, I'm a point guard. Never really wanted to play off ball again. So with, with the Pacers pretty much just saying multiple times in the Tyrese Halliburton, you know, press conference, you know, basically that he's the point guard of the next decade. If Brogdon doesn't buy into that, do you think that they already have something kind of aligned maybe where they just say, Hey, we're going to look to move you in the off season, but we, we, we couldn't because you had this extension and we were unable to trade you by the deadline. I mean, I think he's probably the likeliest trade candidate on the team, right? And buddy healed is a reasonable trade candidate as well. Cause like quietly, they've got a real glut of guards aside from Duarte and Halbert and aside from the guys from the Kings trade, TJ McConnell's going to be back next year, right? Like, DJ McConnell is not somebody that you should alter organizational plans for, but, you know, they owe him a fair bit of money and he's somebody who can, you know, be a 25 minute a game player. So somebody's going to go, they're not keeping all five of those guards. And I think there's a good chance a couple of them go. I want to push back on the coach killer thing. The, the McMillan thing, you're absolutely right. Like it was clear that the entire team 
was very frustrated with him. And like, that was just, it was time, right? Like Nate McMillan is a good coach, but mo- for the most part, coaches wear out their welcome after a certain number of years. That team needed to change. Nate Bjorkren, like he just did it to himself. I don't know what else to say. Like that was just a bad coach. who did not understand how to interact with NBA players properly. Mm. The Carlisle thing is just every, have you ever heard of a point guard that liked Rick Carlisle? Has that ever happened? <laughs> like, I mean, I think Jason Kidd has some like begrudging respect for him maybe, but other than that, like Rick Carlisle's point guards hate him. Like he basically banished Rajon Rondo. You know, Luca was, was very happy to see him gone in Dallas. I think we can leave it at that. Like who's the point guard that liked, that liked Rick Carlisle. I wouldn't judge, I wouldn't charge Brogdon based on any issues he might have with Carlisle because nobody likes Rick Carlisle. <laughs> You know, hey, we, we've definitely heard a little bit more of those reports over the past year, for sure. Um, but for Brogdon, look, three years remaining on the deal. It's about roughly $67 million owed to him after this year. What do you think the perceived trade value of a guy like Malcolm Brogdon could be? Because he could fit many teams, just he might not have been the 50-40-90 guy that came over from Milwaukee because he was playing a much bigger role for the Pacers. Okay, I think we've danced around this long enough. I'm just going to propose my trade. Um, I, I sent this to Alex, what, like the night of the Halliburton trade, and it's kind of been <laughs> percolating in my brain ever since. I wrote it in the story. Uh, I think it's, it's kind of made the rounds a little bit. Here, here's my trade. I think the Indiana Pacers should trade for Russell Westbrook. Pause Ooh. for effect. Pause for effect. What I'm really saying is that I think the Indiana Pacers – should extract whatever draft capital they can get out of the decrepit Lakers to take on Russell Westbrook's expiring contract in the offseason. For my version of this trade is Malcolm Brogdon and Buddy Heald. There are different constructions of it. Like, maybe for enough capital, you talk Miles Turner. I doubt that. But, like, here is broadly the trade that I, as a Lakers representative, am going to offer. Russell Westbrook, unprotected picks in 27 and 29. For Malcolm Brogdon, Buddy Heald, and is there like a sweetener that we could put in there anywhere? Like, I don't know, like someone on the back of the roster. Like, I kind of want to ask for McConnell, but I don't think he makes sense with all the guards that the Lakers have. So I don't know if there's a little something more. But broadly what I'm saying is this. If you're the Pacers and you have a chance to, A, get off of Brogdon's contract, which like it's not a bad contract by any means. I think it's a positive value contract. But you get off of three years of money to somebody who isn't a long-term starter for you. You get off another year of Buddy Heald to like, hey, Buddy Heald can help the Pacers, but I don't think Buddy Heald is like in their long-term plans. You get you get off of those guys. You take on one year of the Russell Westbrook roller coaster. And look, if he doesn't behave, like just cut him. Like he's an expiring contract. That's all he is. And for that, you get two picks that I think there's a pretty decent chance would be, let's say, high lottery, right? Like I think there's a chance this offseason – that if some GM plays this right, you could make a net Celtic-style trade with the Lakers, right? You could make a trade Mm -hmm. where they are so desperate to get off of Westbrook and to get anything decent in return, and LeBron is pressuring them so much that they leave themselves with a totally empty cupboard, and you have their picks when they have no way of replenishing their roster. So that's my proposal. What do you guys think? Alex, you want to take it first? Well, here's what I'll say. When you first sent this to me, I was like, no way. Absolutely not. It there's grew no, on you. I know it did. I said there's absolutely no way that I would do this. But I think one of the things that's really intriguing is 
the cap space the Pacers could then have in 2023. This is a long, this is big picture thinking here. Um, We have a little bit of cap space now, but here's the problem. Like the best free agents are DeAndre Ayton and Miles Bridges, okay? Yeah, I was looking at free agents and trying to figure out who they could actually sign if it wasn't going to be Rubio and Warren, and I was like, is their best option re-signing Thaddeus Young? Is that the best thing? On the <laughs> I, table I brought for that them? up like an episode ago, honestly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's nothing. Class. There's no good players. There's nobody. Yeah. like I'm looking at the restricted guys. and I'm thinking, okay, 23 million. Could you maybe make an offer sheet to Miles Bridges? No, the Hornets would match that, and I think the Hornets would match anything up to the max. Like, there's nothing. There's yeah. nobody to sign. <laughs> yeah, the only thing like we talked about potentially was like a sign and trade. With, with Turner for Bridges or Turner for Aiton, if the, the Suns were trying to go a little bit cheaper at the center position, knowing what, who all they're going to have to pay. But with that being said, I mean, you look at the unrestricted free agents here in 2023, you got LeBron James, James Harden, John Wall, Russell Westbrook, Chris Middleton, Bradley Beal, Kyrie Irving, Christoph Porzingis, Kevin Love, Andrew Wiggins, Nikola Jokic, D'Angelo Russell, uh, Vucevic, okay, Draymond Okay, can I stop you and make a quick point? Yeah. The Pacers aren't getting any of those guys. Well, that's potentially but, true. But, but, but. but the fact that all of the big boys are going to be focusing on them kind of leaves all the role players just sitting there for the pace. Right, right. And so I'm just saying there's ways you can go about it. And if there's teams that want to make cap space to go for those players, Bingo. they could trade the Pacers picks plus other players on their roster that it might actually make sense for the Pacers. So long story short, I don't hate the deal. I think if you put a gun to my head and made me pick, I would probably say no deal only because I think the Pacers feel like they could probably get more for Malcolm Brogdon than this. And okay. it's, 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 what's the deal? I don't know. I don't have that set up right now, but it depends on what they think the Lakers draft picks are going to be in 27 and 29, because that's a long ways away. They could be great picks for the Pacers, but with how LA has gone about doing business, it, it could be. Um, you know, it could be bad if the, if the Lakers are somehow able to move off Anthony Davis. You know, now Russell Westbrook would be off the books. And then LeBron James would still be there. But, you know, he's a free agent that year, too. So will he resign on a one-year deal and then wait to see where Bronny gets drafted? I mean, there's so many factors here that could play a big difference into it. I mean, if I'm the Lakers, I'm, I'm jumping all over this because I really like the idea of Brogdon and Buddy Heald filling in the minutes for Russell, Russell Westbrook, but also giving up two picks is a little bit scary because that's all the ammo they have at, left at that point um, in terms of first-round picks they can actually trade. So I would say that I'm open to the idea if I could predict the future, uh, you know, but at the same time, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a tough deal to sell to the fan base. Um, but well, the, that's you, the, that's, that's you had a twist on it where you said yes. that the ownership might like it. So kind of go that you route. sell it to the fan base. For Kevin Pritchard, this deal is about getting two picks that have, like, top five potential because I'm just telling you guys, I, I cover the Lakers. They don't control their first-round pick until 2026. They have swap rights to New Orleans next year. After that, they have that pick they owe the Pelicans that the Pelicans can defer. So they're, they're going to have no way of replenishing the talent outside of cap space. What we're finding now is that cap space just isn't all that valuable as a free agent mechanism anymore because nobody hits the free agent market. Everybody extends early. So without draft picks to trade, their cap space isn't all that important. They're going to be bad. And the most important thing I can add to this is I personally would really like to bet against shadow GM Kurt Rambis. That's all I'm going to say. When Kurt Rambis is running your NBA team in 2022, 
I feel like that's a team you should bet against in much the same way that teams have been betting against the Kings for years, right? Like the fact that Vivek was, is with the Kings is what made the Halliburton trade possible for the Pacers. Don't you want to bet against a similarly inept person? Because that's what you have the chance to do with Kurt Rambis. But I'll cycle back to the original point here. You don't sell this trade to Pacers fans or to ownership, specifically Herb Simon, as we are getting these two awesome picks. No. You go to Herb Simon and you say, we're going to have Russell Westbrook for a year. Like, this is going to be a blast. He's going to put up triple doubles. It's going to be like when he was in Washington. We're like, oh, no, we're going to compete for a playoff spot. It's going to be great. Now, secretly, what you're thinking is he's gone after a year. Like, this is literally just our way of getting to these awesome picks. But if you're going to Herb Simon, who refuses to tank and hates the idea of, like, not being in the playoff race every year, I think that's pretty sellable to be able to say, we're going to sell a bunch of Russell Westbrook jerseys and people are going to come to the the stands and see him. And like, you know, this will be fun. It'll be like it was for the Wizards. You like, all things considered, got a pretty good return out of their, you know, Russell Westbrook year, right? Like they got better assets, which, you know, the Pacers would be getting in these picks. They had fun. They got a bunch of triple doubles. They like, you know, it was a fun season for them. And then they moved on. I don't see why the Pacers couldn't have a similar experience, but was significantly more upside down the line. It's, it's intriguing. I mean, here's what, here's what I'd say over here. Look, the Pacers know they're not going to win next year. They know that. But if you bring in Westbrook, my biggest fear is, are you stunting the growth of Tyrese Halliburton? Because we obviously know Westbrook needs the ball a lot. Uh, and then here's the thing. Do you think there's value in being able to flip Westbrook at the deadline? Would there be any takers? Or are you just looking at a buyout? Because I like the picks, but – Given that they are so far out, my fear is that the Lakers can almost rebuild by then. Um, well, because you're it's going to be hard for them to rebuild without any of their other picks. It, it, it is going to be hard, but it is still L.A. I think yeah, they yeah. flip Anthony Davis and then get a bunch of picks back for him. Eventually, because here's the thing. They're sweating bullets right now. I think that if LeBron is going to – especially his comments over the All-Star weekend. Uh, it doesn't sound like he's probably going to sign an extension there that's more than, you know, one to two years – you know, obviously a lot remains to be seen. So you get Westbrook. If I, if I do the math correctly, you're shedding essentially about $67 million on Brogdon and about $38 million on Buddy Heald. That's very intriguing. But if you strike out with that money, because Indiana historically does not attract big free agents, then it becomes a bit of, did you mess things up for a year with Russell well, Westbrook? It's, it's tough. I think the important thing to remember is that there are a lot of uses of cap space, right? Like just because you don't sign anybody in free agency doesn't mean you can't get value out oh, of that, of right? Like you can use it to make lopsided trades. You can use it to take in draft picks for bad contracts. I just look at this and I think like somebody is going somebody to have a chance will. to make a historically great trade with the Lakers by you know maximizing on their desperation. This and trade I think will the happen. Pacers, yes, somebody is going to get a lot to take on Russ Westbrook. As for can you dump him at the deadline? Like maybe. You can use a $47 million expiring to do some stuff. Like, I don't think that's absolutely crazy. I don't think anybody's going to value Westbrook as a player. But, like, the broader point here is, like, if I'm the Pacers and I know that I'm not winning the championship next year anyway or, like, coming relatively close, like, get Westbrook. Why not just to get those picks? And then, like, if, if you're at all worried that he's going to stunt Halliburton, Duarte, any of the other young guys, like, then just pinch him. Like, what's the harm? He's an expiring contract. He's matching salary in this trade. And – he doesn't have to be anything more. He could be. It'd be nice if he was. But you're not trading for Russell Westbrook. You're trading for two very valuable Laker picks. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I think overall the Pacers probably would cut Russell Westbrook 
Um, if push came to shove, just because of all the reasons we said in terms of stunning the growth of Halliburton and whatever they do with their draft pick. But Sam, this has been a really fun conversation. We'll maybe have to revisit it if it does happen. But um, people can find you at Sam Quinn CBS for all of your stuff. And I uh, want to just say thank you once again for coming on, and we really appreciate it. Yeah, guys, I'm really happy for you. You're going to have some exciting basketball coming over the next couple of years. All right, everybody, we had to take a break after talking about Russell Westbrook trades to the Pacers because that just seems ridiculous, obviously, ridiculous. But, um, Fachi, you know, now that we're talking about it and we were kind of talking about it off air before we started re-recording this, do you like the idea at all? Is it intriguing at all to you? I like the idea of getting the picks, but it's what do you do with the picks? Do you flip the picks for more? Because the Lakers, I mean, five years ago, they stunk. They get yeah. LeBron, they win the championship. Now they're kind of back to not being good again. So a lot can change when you're in a big market. So, man, I, I just – the last thing I want to do is stunt the growth of Tyrese Halliburton. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I don't think – you know, I know Sam was like, well, Herb Simon could really sell it like, hey, you know, Russ Westbrook's going to put butts in seats. I don't think so. I think Halliburton's going to have a better chance of doing that. And potentially if they, you know, get a good draft pick here – how does that impact things? Like, look, if they drafted Jaden Ivey, there's no way Russell Westbrook None. makes any sense unless you're basically just cutting him. I could see a three-team deal potentially. Um, if there's a team that convinces themselves that Russell Westbrook's expiring is worth it to try for one year, and the Pacers kind of like snuck in there and got involved that way, maybe to shed some salary for the future. But other than that, I can't really see this deal going down. And like we talked about um, off air, if they do flip those picks, you're talking 2027, 2029, Halliburton's going to be, you know, in year eight or nine by that point. You don't want to have a first-round pick. That could be a lottery pick, you know. Um, I mean, I don't, not a lottery pick, but you don't want to have picks that far away that you're invested in. Um, I think you would probably package those picks to try and bring in some more star-level talent to pair with Tyrese Halliburton. The idea of the picks are probably going to be better than the actual picks. I oh, mean, they always are, though. <laughs> they always are. Always are. I mean, look at when, you know, the Cavs traded Kyrie Irving, and then they ended up with, you know, Isaiah Thomas that was hurt, the eighth overall pick, which they thought could have been the first or second. Instead, they ended up going with Colin Sexton. You just entered a rebuild. But if that pick had been first overall, second overall, hey, maybe we could justify the trade over there. But yeah. it, it just never tends to really work out that way. So, Pacers ended up making this deal and then they were dealing with, I don't know, say like the, the 16th pick and like the, the 24th, it, it would be an absolute failure. Yeah. And I think one thing too, like the Lakers would be actually probably just smarter to hold on to their own picks and let Westbrook go in free agency. You, you heard the names I mentioned in that 2023 free agency class, the Lakers <laughs> freeing up Russell Westbrook's space and being able to sign one of those players instead with that cap space would make a ton more sense than, than trading for Brogdon and Buddy because Brogdon can't stay healthy and Buddy Heald can't play defense. So, you know, if the Lakers are stupid enough to get desperate for next year instead of just waiting it out another year, then that's that's on them. I just I just don't see it with um, giving up both picks. I just cannot see them doing that right now. But um, anyway, enough about Russell Westbrook. We got some Tyrese Halliburton action tomorrow. Lance Stevenson will be back in action. Isaiah Jackson will be back in action. And everyone's favorite, Malcolm Brogdon, will be back in action. So I uh, had to laugh at that one. But 
Anything else you're excited about, Flatch? No, I would just say I think it's been enough time now that like everybody is is like jacked up to see the Pacers back again. Like, look, yes, we're not hoping for wins, but we ended on a good note when the Pacers picked up a win over the Wizards. I, I think that Halliburton's looked great. Jalen Smith's been fun. We're getting Isaiah Jackson back. It's just a fun time right now of a young core that we can get behind. So, hey, I want to see it. And then also, we're talking about a massive tank battle going on. This is the Thunder versus the Pacers. You can't win this game. <laughs> yeah, I, I, we'll see what happens. I have a feeling the Thunder, we're going to make sure we win it. But, um, you know, we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm not too mad about it. There's a, there's a good amount of games that we can still lose out of the 22 remaining but there are some ones that we could win so uh, i think if you split it it's probably about 11 and 11 would be a a reasonable um win loss record over the next 22 games but yeah i uh, i i hope we lose i'm actually going to be at the game but i uh it's weird to root for a loss i just i have a hard time doing that but i want a better draft pick so uh we're, we're, we're going to talk about this all the time but anyway flash where can people find us out on social media all right, so you can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at SettingThePace. You can find us on TikTok at SettingThePace. And if you're excited that Isaiah Jackson is going to be back in action for the Indiana Pacers on Friday night, say these three words. Let's go Pacers! It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.